0: weight loss supplements are big business. Fat burners, fat blockers, metabolism boosters, appetite suppressants. These are just some of the popular kinds of pills, potions and herbal concoctions that fly off pharmacy and health food store shelves. But how effective are any of these products? That's what I'll explore in today's podcast. Losing weight is hard, Keeping it off is even harder. And with a limitless number of diets available to try, the current high rates of overweight and obesity are testament to the failure of most approaches. In the search for a shortcut to weight loss, many people turn to over-the-counter herbal pills and potions. With their seductive claims of metabolism boosting and fat burning featured prominently in their promotion it is no wonder that herbal weight loss supplements seem like an attractive option. But how effective are they? A simple answer based on an observation would be that if any of these products made dramatic inroads for weight loss the word would be out by now. But with shelves groaning with new products to try this very likely points to the lack of benefit of most of them. With its focus on the herbal weight loss supplement sector, and here we are talking about things like green tea, Garcinia cambogia, which is a tropical plant native to Indonesia, white kidney bean, ephedra, herba mate, licorice fruit and mangosteen, a major scientific review published in 2020 looked at the safety and efficacy of these supplements for weight loss. In all, 54 randomized control trials were included in the review, where the herbal supplement was compared head-to-head against a placebo for weight loss. And I'll link to this review in the show notes. For the findings, the news was bleak. Only one, yes, just one, of the herbal supplements, which was white kidney bean, showed a statistically significant benefit for weight loss when given as a single supplement. And even then, it was a very tiny 1.6 kilograms, which is not of any great clinically significance, as greater than 2.5 kilograms of weight loss is considered clinically meaningful. Other supplements did show a benefit, but it was usually based on having three or fewer clinical trials of poor quality to support the evidence. That review was published last year and was mostly focused on herbal supplements. So, now, and published only in the last month, a broad systematic review has cast its net over the whole gamut of dietary supplements and alternative therapies for weight loss. A staggering 315 randomized controlled trials were included, which covered 14 different types of dietary supplements and therapies. And I'll link to this review in the show notes. Now, why I focus so much on randomized controlled trials in this podcast, especially in the area of weight loss, is because you need to be sure a particular supplement can have a direct and independent effect on weight loss, outside of either intentional or unintentional lifestyle changes a person may make because they are starting a new treatment. Having a matched control group who don't get the treatment is the best way to make a valid comparison. And for weight loss pills and potions, it is normally possible to mask or blind the treatment so a person doesn't know if they're getting the active ingredient or a placebo. So what do this major review find? Firstly, most of the studies in the review were considered of lower quality with bias a likely issue. Of the just 16% of studies that were considered of having a low risk of bias, barely one in three of them could identify a meaningful weight loss benefit. So you can see how poor the evidence is already and makes most claims you clear of clinically proven from promoters flogging these weight loss supplements as utterly worthless as the actual weight loss they will cause is of not much significance and is usually based on cherry-picked, poor-quality studies. So let's dig a bit deeper into some of the intervention studies used in this review. For chitosan, which is a fibre-like substance extracted from the outer skeleton of shellfish, such as lobster, and is claimed to be a fat blocker in the gut, of nine trials, just one had a low risk of bias, and it found a weight loss of just 2.3 kilos over six weeks. Then there was ephedra taken with caffeine, and for the 10 trials that were considered of low risk of bias, 5 reported a change in weight ranging from 0.3 to 4.9 kilograms. Sounds pretty positive, but the problem here is that ephedra, which is a herb that has strong stimulant properties, is a banned substance in countries such as Australia and the United States because of serious safety concerns. For green tea, 16 trials had a low risk of bias, and of these, just two reported a change in weight of a tiny 1.5 to 1.7 kilograms. Chromium, which I covered in last week's podcast, mostly with a focus on blood sugar and diabetes, also was a popular supplement promoted for weight loss. And just one trial from the three in the review that had a low risk of bias found a weight change and it was just a tiny 1.4 kilograms over 10 weeks. Garcinia cambogium, guar gum, calcium and vitamin D, conjugated linoleic acid, pyruvate, and white kidney bean were also studied. And the narrative here is pretty much the same as what I've already covered. The complementary therapies of mindfulness and acupuncture were also looked at. For mindfulness out of 22 trials, just two had a low risk of bias, and neither of these reported actual weight changes. So of the rest, just six studies found evidence of weight loss. And finally for acupuncture, out of 45 trials, just two had a low risk of bias, partly from the difficulty of doing a truly blinded study in this area, because you kind of know if you've been jabbed with a pin or not, and of these studies, neither showed a significant benefit on weight loss. So, not a great endorsement for most therapies, but really, the wider community probably already knew this, as if any of these pills, potions and therapies showed outstanding success, then the secret would be out by now, and you'd also hear credible professionals giving some endorsement to them. There are some downsides though here to consider as well, apart from the mostly failed weight loss and cost as there is evidence that people who take weight loss supplements are less likely to control other areas of their eating, a well-described psychological effect known as moral licensing. Putting weight loss effects aside, medical researchers are now asking the question if a fixation on using a pill to solve a weight problem can come with some unintended side effects. Borrowing from psychological theory, the presence of one perceived positive health behaviour may give licence to follow a less healthy behaviour. It is called moral licensing, where a good act boosts the likelihood that more liberal morals are applied to other behaviours. A classic example would be someone who goes to the gym and then allows themselves to overindulge in unhealthy reward treats afterwards. So could turning to weight loss supplements, which are a clear statement of a weight loss goal behaviour, mean that a person is more likely to let other aspects of their diet and health slip? To help answer this, 74 healthy adults who were unaware of the research question were randomly allocated to take either a weight loss supplement or a placebo pill. What the participants didn't know was that every pill was a placebo pill. After giving ratings on the size, shape, colour and texture of the pill they took, each person then completed a questionnaire measuring how they thought they were making progress in their weight loss goals. After the questionnaire, each person was offered a reward drink, which was a bubble cup tea, where they could choose how much sugar they wanted in it. And the final stage of the experiment involved each person taking part in a taste test of different types of confectionery, where they could consume as much as they wished. So the researchers had this really set up nicely to address the question of moral licensing. So how did the people who were told they were given a weight loss supplement fare compared to those who knew they were taking a placebo? People taking the phony weight loss supplement consumed 29% more of the confectionery in the taste test and asked for almost double the amount of sugar in their bubble cup tea drink. This same group of people though were more likely to report that they were making greater progress towards their weight loss goals. Breaking the results down further the researchers could see that the knowledge that they were taking a weight loss supplement was driving the participants perceived progress towards their weight loss goals and the more People reported that they were moving towards their weight loss goals, the more confectionery they ate in the taste test. So I'll link to this full study in the show notes. But the results of this study do not stand alone because previous researchers found that people taking multivitamins are more likely to slacken off in other important health behavior areas. So let's wrap all this up. Before you hit play on this episode, I suspect most of you knew already that most of the weight loss supplement market is just a bottle full of empty promises. The evidence continues to remain poor that herbal and dietary supplements will make any significant inroads for weight loss. And where a benefit is seen, it is usually very small. Due to the poor regulation of such supplements though, promoters of herbal preparations will likely continue to make outlandish claims about their products without any consistent and credible evidence to support them. And there will always be new players in the market as they move on to the next biggest and greatest thing. Just save your money and don't buy into the quick fix mentality that these supplements can lure you in with. So that's it for today's show. You can find the show notes either in the app you're listening to this podcast on, if it supports it, or else head over to my webpage at thinkingnutrition.com.au and click on the podcast section to find this episode to read the show notes. If you find this podcast of value, then please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues, or maybe even leave a review. This all helps increase the ranking and reach of the podcast, which means a big win for credible evidence-based nutrition messages while helping to dilute out the crazy and making the world a slightly less confusing place. I'm Tim Crow, and you've been listening to Thinking Nutrition.